on this episode of Quantum Week, July 22nd through 29th, 1990. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year, and we talk about the movies, the music, the history, everything that happened during that time period to make it unique. You bet. This week, we are doing July 22nd through 28th, 1990. We are. Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, we've off 1984, and now we're in 1990. Uh, Let's get right into it. The movie we're talking about this week is Ghost. Which was the number one movie actually that entire year, uh, box office wise. Huge smash. It's also nominated for Best Picture. So this is pretty, when you think of 1990 movies, this is on a short list. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. most iconic. Absolutely. And I kind of like this movie. Did you? <laughs> I did. I, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought. I've never seen it. Uh, I, I had seen clips, obviously. You've never, you didn't see this in I 1990? Didn't. What the fuck? I this was 500 million at I the know. box office. I don't know what happened. I think, I, you gotta remember 1990, I'm 10. The idea of like a love romantic kind of story did not intrigue me at all. Even yeah, my parents happened. like wanted to watch this though, so if I watched it with them. Yeah, type of I mean, there were movies like that. I just this one just didn't for some reason we just never saw. And uh, I mean, yeah. I had seen clips like on cable and stuff, but I never actually sat down and watched the full movie. Um, and I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. I'm not saying this is a great movie. This is not going to crack my top five. No. <laughs> uh, but this uh, movies we've seen. Um, but this is a good movie. I mean, there's some. Now we can we can get into it a bit. It, it should be nominated for best picture, things like that. Yeah. But um, I liked it. How about you? you I didn't. No, I, I actually. You saw me. I told you that I was not looking forward to seeing it again because mm-hmm. I felt like I it would be cringy and it would be tough for me to watch the entire time and. It probably wasn't as bad. I, pro- I probably built it up in a negative way enough so that it didn't affect me that much. I thought it was okay. Whoopi Goldberg's the best part of this movie to me. Some of the effects that they do are cheesy. Some of the plot lines are weird. I, but, you know, we can get into it. We can get yeah, into it. Yeah. Uh, so Whoopi Goldberg did win the Oscar for this. Best, uh, best supporting, supporting actress. actress. So let me yeah. just talk about a little bit about who she was up against. So um, that was a weak year for supporting actors. It, it was actresses. weak in general, I think. It was. It was a weak year. Um, you had well, Whoopi Goldberg obviously won. Um, also nominated was Annette Benning for The Grifters, which I'd seen years ago. She's quite good in it. I don't remember. Uh, Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So that year was the year that Goodfellas lost Best Picture to Dances, Dances with, with Wolves. Wolves. And I'm sure, are you upset about that? I thought Dances with Wolves was really, I, people think, is that your favorite movie? A lot of people think that's your favorite movie. Uh, it's in my top three. So I think it's, a, I think it's absolute. it's one of the biggest reasons why when you talk about Oscars, people will say Oscars don't matter yeah. and they'll bring that up. And it's hard to argue that my point of contention is Oscars don't matter. Oscar nominations matter. Yeah, I can see that. Cause that gives you a clear idea of the actual scope of that year. If you look I, at the entire breadth of who's nominated, that gives yeah. you an idea for what that year was like. Well, the two that were, I thought should not have been on this list are ghost and Godfather part three. Those right, are both on that's the-, the best picture. Do you want to finish? These, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, so go ahead. Go ahead. We have Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas. Uh, she was, I don't think was ever, I, I mean, it, that's not a role that probably wins. Although I think she's quite good in it. Yeah. Um, Diane Ladd in Wild at Heart, uh, which I have not seen, David Lynch movie. And then Mary McDonald in Dancing with Wolves. Right. Um, uh, which obviously did go on to win Best Picture. We can talk about the Best Picture nominees too. So uh, it, was, it was Godfather 3, which that was going to get nominated. Yeah. Um, it's just, just how, how it goes. Right. Godfather 3, Ghost, Awakenings, Dances with Wolves, Goodfellas, Dances with Wolves wins. So in my opinion, Awakenings is the second best movie on that list. I think it's quite good. It's Penny Marshall who directed that. Yeah, I thought it's it was best movie. third to me, but but I do like that film. I like that movie more than big. I think Robin Williams is good in it. De Niro, it's a very interesting, yeah. um, uh, it, it has kind of a flowers for Algernon or yeah. if you've read that book or Charlie, movie with Cliff Robertson. It's kind of that vein of thing, but I think it's quite good. I really enjoy it. Um, uh, it's very melancholy. It's good. It's good. Uh, but I, uh, Goodfellas to me is a different echelon. So sure. Goodfellas yep. is in that, and well, hopefully one day we can talk about these movies that are just this next level of amazing filmmaking. Right. Um, and that's, that's right up there with, with, with the best for me. Okay. Um, but Ghost is not. Uh, Ghost is right there. The Ghost also was nominated for uh, one. There are five, sorry, five, five, five nominations, nominations, but also one for uh, best screenplay. Right. Which was an amazingly weak year. I want to read that. So uh, I just want to explain, and we can kind of talk about this. I know 
don't know if people are as much of a film nerd as I am with, with this award. Well, they're stuff. listening to the fucking show, so they got to dig it at least a little bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the Oscar talk, if you're not a big award guy, it can get a little bit like, what is this? What's going on here? So I'll explain kind of how screenwriting works yeah. uh, with, the, with the awards. So there's two um, awards you could, uh, that they give out for screenwriting. There's adapted, which is from an original, um, from a work that's already been created. So like a novel or something, yeah. Anything, a short yeah. story, anything, even a previous film, they yeah. get that. So even if you wrote the movie, like for instance, uh, John Irving wrote The Cider House Rules. He wrote mm-hmm. the book. And then he also wrote the screenplay. Even though he wrote it, that's still an adapted piece of work. <laughs> that's funny. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I get so it. So it, yeah. it doesn't, as long as it right. had a form in one way, it's always adapted. And yeah. that year, adapted was sick. Listen to how stacked this was. You had Awakenings, yeah. uh, Goodfellas, The Grifters, Reversal of Fortune, mm. and Dances with Wolves. Those are all... Pretty yeah. iconic movies. Right. But then you also have written for the screen, which obviously in a lot of ways is a lot harder because you're creating this from Something scratch. from nothing. Something from nothing, exactly. Okay. And and this, so you have, uh, you know, adapted uh, and then you have originals, typically how they're just shorthand. For sure. So the original that year was amazingly weak. <laughs> so Ghost won. Yeah. Um, Bruce Joel Rubin wrote the script. Uh, and But then also nominated was Alice, which was by Woody Allen, which yeah. is not memorable at all. Avalon by Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson's great. Avalon's not his... At all, and I don't know that one. Anywhere in his top, you know, works. Right. You no, know, he did Diner and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, Homicide and everything. Green Card by Peter Weir <laughs> with uh, uh, Gerard Depardieu. That's right, and Amy McDowell. <laughs> and then Metropolitan, which is a very small indie movie, mm. uh, and that was Whit Stillman wrote that. Um, but so I mean, that like those movies are not other than Ghost. People haven't even thought about those movies in. Well, Ghost years. is definitely the most original thought process of probably all those films, don't you think? Um, it's it's a ghost story about someone that dies, and I, mean, I don't think I don't know if it's that original. No, but to have the psychic involved and to have to I, I and to have to solve kind of a murder through that psychic. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's well crafted. Yeah, I, I think any other year that would not. You know, I'm not saying well-crafted. I'm just saying it's an original thought. Yeah, I guess in some ways. Yeah. It, is, it is kind of a standard ghost story, and it does kind of play on those, those <laughs> tropes a little bit, though. Yeah. But like you did, it, it adds kind of a, a, maybe a little extra layer to our what we sure. typically expect from a romance or from a ghost story. Some some white crime and some, uh, you know, as a guy, a banker yeah, stealing from the bank. Crime. White collar crime, right? white crime. I didn't... <laughs> some white on white collar crime. Um <laughs> I, you did mention some potholes, and there are some things right. that I think you are absolutely right. And this is a, a bit problematic when you figure out, when you think about a movie that wins best an Oscar for the best screenplay. Yep, it should have very little to no potholes. This has a couple. Um, one is so when Patrick Swayze, and we, obviously we always do spoilers here, so go watch it if you haven't seen. Ghost. Don't watch I'll it. But you can watch it. Who, I don't think it's that bad. It's all right. Um, so at what, after he dies, he's in the hospital, and an old man who's also dead is talking like he's talking Patrick Swayze is talking it's to his mentor for ghost. like 30 seconds for 30 seconds <laughs> and then he vanishes with no explanation yeah, no explanation but whatsoever we never see another ghost vanish I mean we know that his wife is dying and so we presume that she died and maybe he went and but, met her and then went to heaven but shouldn't he still walk away and go or something but like there's no but when we see someone go to heaven those those, those light things come down right that in that very scene. we do so, so what the fuck happened to that go? guy so that's that's a problem another thing is like um so this is a, what's called convenience screenwriting. So <laughs> if you notice in a couple of scenes before, Woody, Whoopi Goldberg gets her body possessed by a ghost. Yep. And we kind of see that scene is kind of played for comedic value. And then the ghost jumps out of her body and the ghost is tired. Really tired. And they say, hey, don't you know that when you jump in a body, it's, you lose all you're, your you're energy tired. or right. you're, you're tired. Really yeah. out. Right. But okay, fine. So they're obviously foreshadowing. And you, if, like yes, the second that you happened, need it, you, right? You know then later on, has to this so is going to happen. Right. It's really kind of very poor foreshadowing, but they never say how long you're tired for. No, so there should be like a life meter or a death meter on the top right-hand corner of the screen that tells you how much energy you have left. Probably, it's a video. It's not a video game. It's probably not, <laughs> uh, but they should have at least said, you know, you're tired for a couple minutes after. That would have been better. Just say that. I was thinking we need Gremlins rules for this film too, because I also had issue right. with, with, uh, you know, how it gets taught to like move objects by the scary guy on the train. Um, the guy's like, you have to do it from your mind, but you have no body, but you have to feel it in your stomach. And it's like, what stomach, what mind, what yeah. head, well, where think, are you getting this from? I think they're trying to do like more from your heart, but to go back to the possessing the body thing. Yeah. So when Patrick Swayze then is jumps out of Whoopi Goldberg's body and is tired at the climactic scene there, he's too tired to help. Right. He then, but then he immediately gets his energy back and then is full at full strength. And you're like, wait, what? Like, I thought you were tired. Did you eat like a power bar or something? How like, did you? What, uh... Exactly. What happened there? So I think, you know, some sort of that, and that's a crisper screenplay that, that should, it should have been ironed out. Absolutely. There are some other things about this that are quite good. I think, well, Tony Goldwyn's fantastic. He's a great villain. 
Yeah, he is. He's great. He's so good. Nice. I think isn't he mostly villains? What do I? What else do I know yeah, him from? I think he got. He was in um uh the uh, Kerry Washington show um on TV for a long time, uh, Scandal or something like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, and he's he's another. So he's 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 a good he's a good actor. He's, he, yeah, he, he does a good job. And he's a good like character actor. Um, Demi Moore, I think, is quite good in this. She's all right. It's but I think it's never. I think it's an easy one to do too much. She never does too much. She always. You're right. She's grief stricken it, and I think she plays it pretty realistic. And I like the fact she never. It takes her a really long time to believe Oda May, played by Whoopi Goldberg. That is helpful. Yeah, because you like, really don't see that until the last 25, 20 minutes of the film. Really, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, good. She shouldn't believe this person. She That's shouldn't. Not. Yeah. You know that 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 would that would be too uh, convenient. Um, let's talk Patrick Swayze for a second. Okay. So, this I, is probably peak Patrick Swayze yes. and and uh, Demi Moore and Whoopi. Probably. I don't think it's peak Demi Moore. No, not yet. So Demi Moore goes on a run after this. So when she does, does she, when is uh, so, I mean I guess you can call this peak. It depends. So in ninety she does this movie. Right. Obviously, watch it. Ninety one she does nothing but trouble, which is a disaster. That's movie. right. A terrible movie. <laughs> uh, we need uh, to watch that. We need to watch that. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then she follows that up with a movie called The Butcher's Wife, where she's in a blonde wig. Yes. Terrible movie. Yes. So then she goes on what I think is her peak, which is the ninety two to ninety four um, stretch. So, so is there GI Jane in there? Nope. Gia uh, James, not not not. That's you, later on. Be anybody speak. Uh, <laughs> 1994. She does uh, a few good men. A few good men. Indecent proposal. Yep. And disclosure. Oh right. All monster hits. Yep. All one one movie a year. Boom boom boom. These movies are gigantic mega hits. And then she gets dollar signs in her eyes. She yeah. makes a couple bad movies. And then she does strip tease. Strip tease, of course. For like twelve and a half million dollars uh, at the time. It was the most money any actress has ever gotten. Mm. Movie d- did okay, didn't do great. I don't she think follows that up with G.I. Jane. Right. Same thing, does okay, not great. And then it just completely falls apart. Then she also does retract from Hollywood a bit and focuses more on her family. Yeah. But um, I hope we get to legislate G.I. Jane sometime. I guess. We don't have to do it right I'm now. I'm really not interested. But I mean, we'll run into it, I'm sure. It was, yeah. it was at least a top three hit, but I, yeah, that, yeah. That, that will bore me. Um, but <laughs> th- that streak of 92, 94, you could argue is up there with the best stretch any actress has ever had. In, as far yeah. as making money, making decent movies. Indecent Proposal, I think, uh, in retrospect, is respected more. than When it came out, it got, it got panned. Did it really? Yeah. That's it, the Woody Harrelson and, and Robert uh, Redford one. I think, I think time good. has gone on. It's okay. It's, yeah. it's, 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 but from 1994, she was making you know, R-rated dramas that were making $100 million, which is right. unheard of. And it was a lot of it because of her cachet. And she's, and she's good in this. She is good. She's, defi- she, she's definitely dialed down. I don't think it's her fault. I just think it's kind of a mono, monotone it performance. Is. And I understand that that's with, that's with grief. She could have like but I'm shrieked glad and howled. She wasn't, but, right. I'm right. glad it wasn't that. Agreed. Um, so Patrick Swayze. Um, yes. This is his, this is the uh, kind of. Yeah, because we had Roadhouse right before this. 88 yeah, or something? Ha- I don't know. I know Roadhouse. And then dance, when was Dirty Dancing? 87? 87. Okay. Before. All right. So maybe this is so kind of the end. This is the end. Yeah. Because um, he also had some substance abuse issues. He's drinking oh, yeah. problems. And he did actually take a step back as well. Yeah. Um, he also made some bad uh, script choices. And then, and then, and then by then, by the time he came back, the Swayze magic was gone. He kind of lost his looks a little bit. And, yeah. and as you can see in this, he's not a good actor, right? I mean, like, yeah, he's all right. On that? He's not, not a good actor. He yeah. is though. You, he's likable. Totally likable. Always. But he's, but he's not good. It's so, I just, whenever I watch him, like, I'm like, this guy's like, you'd want to go have a beer with him. Yep. But you, but acting is like he's very really wooden. Care. Yeah, he he's not. He doesn't emote very well. Um, I don't. I know really, when he has to emote, I don't really believe him. I don't believe he's really scared. I don't believe he's really sad. But I believe him when he's like just like hanging out with yeah. anymore or whatever. Like right. I kind of buy that. Like yeah. he's a, it's a he's an interesting actor. I haven't seen. He's a hard comparable. Like who would you compare him to? I can't really think of anybody because he's not quite an action star, although he's done some yep. actiony movies. Red Dawn and uh, he's obviously athletic. You know, if you look at him dancing in Dirty Dancing or Roadhouse, oh, yeah. the, that type of stuff. Um, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah, he's reasonably funny too. If you one, I tweeted this out, but one of my top favorite SNL sketches ever are the Chip and, is a Chippendales yes. one, which is so funny. And a lot of that has to do with Chris Farley, of course, but he does great in that. Like right. he's got, he definitely has something in some chops, but I don't know. I don't know. It's so weird. Who he, else is he? His whole career, he's kind of been like an, it's hard to pin down. So when he got his career, his first movie, the big movie was the outsiders. Oh, that's about right. With Kirk. Yeah. Um, the Karate Kid, Rob yeah, Macchio. Yeah, yeah. And he was just too old to be like a, he also did Red Dawn. Uh, He's just too old to be a Brad Packer. So yeah. it didn't quite fit that Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez. You know, Demi Moore was in St. Elmo's Fire. Sure, she right. was a Brad Packer. Right. But he was just a little too old. And then he does Dirty Dancing with Jennifer Grey. And he's in his mid-30s by that time. Right. Yeah. And he's, and that was supposed to be, uh, 
That's going to come out for one week and then go like to straight to video. Oh, really? They didn't think they didn't have no, any no thoughts. Hopes. Really? And he also wrote a, what, a hit song. Um, yeah, uh, for Dirty Dancing. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I forget the name of it now, but it was like that's not time of my life, is it? Might be. And I had yes. was that him? Yeah, it's him. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's I mean, crazy. That's a monster hit. Monster hit. So he's like this guy that can do a lot of things, and then at the end of his career, he doesn't do it. But he does one last great movie, Donnie Darko, which is my yeah. favorite Patrick Swayze movie, yep. and he's quite good in it. Yeah. Um. He's not, he doesn't try to do too much. He kind of just, and then obviously then he, you know, he gets cancer when he's in his mid fifties, which is sad. He, he dies, but he has this kind of weird career, but I don't know if I've seen an actor since Patrick Swayze that reminds me of Patrick Swayze. He's such a unique He is actor. very unique, right. Um, he's good in this. I enjoy going on this kind of journey with him, but I'm never like impressed by his acting. Does that make any sense? Totally makes sense. Yeah. Am I selling him short though? I don't think so. No, I think he's probably a better than average personality actor star like he's a he's not he's not certainly not a t- he's probably like a b-level star for the stretch of time when he was but then famous. he's in the biggest movie of the year i know it's, so he's not a b-level yeah, star it's a strange one it's kind of a strange casting is it because do you think it's because the director was pretty inexperienced i know he did a few other films before but it was in tandem i this was his, uh this is uh jerry zucker this is his first solo movie he yes. was doing screwball comedies with yes. airplane and actually i think after he, was, did, he did was, Airplane, Top Secret. Top Secret. And, and then, then Ruthless People. Oh, and Ruthless People. Right, all but comedies. that was all with a team. Yes. This is his first his, dramatic. Uh, the other Zucker brother, I believe David Zanuck, I think. So maybe, I don't know if, uh, I don't think, I don't think he had any experience with Swayze before this no. in any of his films. So I, I'm not sure why he, it seems kind of like a miscast, actually. I, I guess in a way, it works, though. Yeah, it does. It, it works. I mean, it it works. And it, yeah, the, the, the Zucker thing is so strange. So he does those three, uh, he does like the big comedies. He even and he also produced and wrote Naked Gun. Like that's right. Like all this guy does is like goofy. He's very good, very yeah. funny movies. He does. He directs this, and he, they asked him like, "Are you doing this to get away from comedy?" And he's like, "No, I was just looking for a good script." And this was it. <laughs> yeah. So he directs this, and he also directs then five. Then he doesn't direct for five years. Oh, first night. Five, but think about this guy. He just he was not nominated. But yeah. he just directed a Best Picture nominee, right? And he waits five years to it's direct strange. again. Yeah, and then he directs a medieval like action movie, which, yeah. which was very successful. Was successful. Yeah. I remember seeing him being like, "Eh," when Richard it came Gere, out. Richard uh, Gere and Sean Connery, Sean Connery and Julia Ormond, right? Um, in an Arthurian, it's it's, Arth- it's King Arthur and right. So Lancelot it's or very something. different than Ghost. Very different than Naked Gun. Very different. And then he waits six years. And he directs Rat Race, which is basically like a, it's a mad, mm. mad, mad, mad world, uh, like redone. Yeah. It's basically, if you've never seen that, it's an old movie from the '60s. A bunch of it's like a, a big cast all tries to get like chases down like a bag. Of oh money. right, it's a similar. I probably saw that, but I, I don't have it's, much. Yeah, recollection. It's, it's not like a screwball. Uh, by the way, those are not screwball comedies. Um, th- that those Naked Guns, those are like slapstick. Slapstick or like right airplane is, isn't screwball. Or, is uh, it? It's almost like a parody. Screwball yeah. is usually like a romantic comedy. Oh, is it typically? Yeah. Um, I, I think we've had this conversation yeah. before, but I don't really know the. De- yeah. I need to I learn the definition. Bringing a baby is the ultimate screwball. It's from the thirties. That, that, that is the ultimate. Well, that's no reference for me. I've never seen that. You watch it though. Yeah. Um, it's not. I don't. I don't like it personally, but it does define it the shows, genre okay. very well. Um, plus it's like a classic movie, but um. These, so he does kind of these like parody or these like just full out straight comedies. Like there's nothing else. They're spoofs. They're just, they're silly movies. And then he follows it up with Ghost, uh, which is a, a drama for sure. Yeah. Uh, First Night, which is a medieval action movie. And then, yeah. and then like a, a more traditional comedy in Rat Race. Then he never directs again. I kind of imagine he just probably just doesn't like directing. Maybe not. Maybe he liked doing it with his buddies uh, in the first few films and then did it on his own. I was like, this isn't for me. This is too much work. Fuck it's it. Interesting. I'd love to like sit him down and be like, so what, why, where'd why? you go? Because he does other stuff. He does write. He does, he does a lot. Yeah. Of, he produces. He's probably most famous for being a producer. Yep. And, like that would be his, the first lie in his obit was he's a producer. Yeah. Um, but the, isn't that funny? The biggest movie he made, the most successful movie he made was, was a drama. drama. It was a ghost. Yeah. Um, Whoopi Goldberg. Okay. So I found her to be the most charming part of this movie. Like, I, I think she's she's really good. She won. And deserved. She won the BAFTA. I think she, she won the Golden Globe and she won. So she was, she was, yeah. she won, like she did a sweep. And I remember she had been nominated before for The Color Purple. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but she's also been nominated on the other side of her. She's been nominated, I think, for four Razzies. She's done some Has of the she? worst movies ever, like Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh, <laughs> which she's a, in a buddy cop. This is only six years after Ghost. She's really? In a buddy cop movie. I think six or eight years after Ghost. She's a buddy cop what movie the- with a dinosaur. <laughs> That's a real thing. <laughs> it's, to this date, it's the only movie it went straight to video nominated for a Razzie. That's funny. Uh, she also did uh, well, uh, sci-fi. She did uh, um, 
Star Trek. Star Trek, right. Yeah, but that's, that's she's no, like supporting. But, I mean, like, but she's been nominated for Grammys and Emmys, too. She's been nominated for a bunch a of shit. Yeah. I mean, she's a great stand-up. There's that. She did comic relief with Billy Crystal and right. Williams in the 80s. If you're a kid of the 80s, she was one of the top stand-ups yeah. around. You know, obviously, Eddie Murphy was, was number one, but, but you, she was in that, you know, it wasn't that crazy that she was with Billy Crystal and Robin Williams. Like, it wasn't crazy for her. To no, not that. at all. Uh, you know, she, but, you know, her career is so odd where she does things like Sister Act. Huge hit, right? Yep. Now I'm for Golden Gold. You know, big, big, giant movie. Yep. You know, makes it, makes it trillion dollars. And then, but then she does movies like um, Bogus, where oh. um, she's playing uh, a, like a foster mother and Gerard Depardieu is, a, is an imaginary he friend. He comes back. He's an imaginary friend. Yes. A lot of Depardieu in this today. Oh, we're talking 90s. Uh, so Depardieu is an imaginary friend of this boy named Bogus. And uh, eventually Whoopi Goldberg can also see the imaginary friend. <laughs> really? And she's like, what are we doing here? And then she also like coaches the Knicks and Eddie, which is like not a good movie. Didn't see that. Um, like she, it, these movies, like it's just so odd that she does like, she can pick the color purple. Yeah. And I know in the 80s it was a hard for her because I think they had a hard time kind of, she did a lot of Fitting movies her in? where people would drop out the last second. Oh. Like she did a movie called Burglar, a movie called Jumpin' Jack Flash. I remember Jumpin' Jack Flash. Those movies I think I had other people cast and then they- the people dropped out last second and then she had a fill in. Yeah. A lot of times she's playing roles that were supposed to be uh, with men in the, in the leading roles. And then mm. the man drops out or whatever. And then you need to fill it and she's there and she's available. And they had her cause she was just coming off the nomination for color purple. Right. And after ghost, her career took a different level. Now she's a leading lady. Yeah. She's in, and then sister act was even like more stratospheric, but then she just made like horrible decisions. And then I know she got older and it's hard. If you watch, if you're younger, you might only know Whoopi from the view. I mean, she's been on The View for- 10 years or something? Yeah, 13, 15 years? Of time. Yeah. And she's kind of humorless at this point. Yeah. She's not a lot of fun to it's watch. It's too bad because I, I remember when I watched this, I was like, oh yeah, I used to like watching Whoopi Goldberg. She's really fun on yeah. camera. And I think a lot of directors got enticed by that and tried to put her maybe in roles which wasn't a great fit. And that kind of destroyed her career, or at least from a box office perspective. Sure. She still does movies now. Like she does like, um, she's a few in the last year, nothing that was huge. But nothing that I've seen. But uh, you know, you, but she. I think she because she's in New York doing the View. It's a live show. There's not a lot. I know there's a ton of show prep, so you can probably yeah do stuff more at night yeah. or on weekends. You can you know especially if it's a supporting role. But her career is odd, and I think Hollywood. Even though she, I know she's been nominated for two Oscars, won one. I think Hollywood never quite figured out what to do with Whoopi Goldberg. But she was successful though. It still worked. She wasn't. She wasn't. I mean, well, yeah, she, it was, it seems like there were huge peaks and valleys, Huge, but, but I, she still won an Oscar nominated for a bunch of different awards. We're in huge two films, two, right. Nominated for two Oscars, one, one, one. I mean, that's a big deal. $500 million movie on this one. I don't know how big the color uh, sister act was probably huge. hundreds of millions. Gigantic. I would guess. Sister act two, even yeah, I even a little bit of money too. Back in the habit, I believe. Back in the habit. Yes. Right. Um, which came out a year and a half after sister act one. Which shows you how rushed and shitty that script must have been. Because you think about it, like Sister Act one has to come out. We gotta to, do this. Has to be a hit. Yeah. And then to green light it that quick. I know. That's but yeah, I think Whoopi I think Whoopi was chasing the dollar signs a bit. Um and Well, I hope it worked for her. I, does she seem happy? No, but I just think, I mean, she's had three marriages, seems- three marriages and divorces. Her longest marriage was six years long and then she had a two year uh, marriage and a one year marriage. So no, I don't think she's happy, but but she even, was a successful but even career. On the view, like um, no. I'm not a big view person, but I would. So that's not your. Uh, you're not in the demographic. I don't think. I'm not, actually. and it's not for me. I get it, but like I would go when I was uh, <clears throat> working at a job. I was um, get you know obviously time for lunch uh, when I was working in New Hampshire, and my parents' house was like a mile from work, so I just go home for an hour and just have lunch. And my and my and tell my me mom. the view was on the TV. What's that? Tell me the view was on the, the view. TV. Would be, I would catch it the last like 10 minutes of the view because that's how my lunch hour worked. I see, yeah. And my mom was watching it. So I'd watch the last 10 minutes and Whoopi always had this like look in her face because she was miserable. Yeah, she seems miserable. Like, I think she's like not like a happy, like I'm like, oh, I wonder if, I mean, maybe she is happy. I mean, who knows if someone's like, in their home life. But it just, like I just, when I was looking through her like IMDb and I was looking at like her career, I'm like, I just feel like Hollywood kind of missed the boat with her a little bit. Like I feel like there's like, I don't know. It could have been her too. She could have been hard to work with. I don't know. I don't know. I think she, I don't think she is. I mean, she does like a live show. I think that stuff, those, those, that's the thing about doing that a thing live comes show. Out that, yeah, that, you those, see that quick. That yeah. porcelain cracks quick. Yeah, you're right. You're um, right. Um, you know, if you're a real diva or whatever, you, you're having Rose O'Donnell. She couldn't yeah, lie. She, she imploded on that show. Yeah, she did. Um, I just think that you had, especially in the 80s and early 90s, you had a black uh, woman uh, who was very funny. There weren't a ton of those yeah. at that time who were getting work. Yeah. You know, because you know, it was you know, it wasn't because there weren't funny black women, they just weren't getting opportunities. So she kind of cracked through and 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 got through it and was able to do it. And then it's almost like once we had that 
available to screenwriters. It was very enticing, but they didn't. It's all white male screenwriters. Yeah. Didn't know quite what to do. Yeah. And I'm sure white male directors didn't know quite what to do either. And yeah. they tried. And at times in Ghost, it really worked. worked. And at times in, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex, or, which is Ghost of the Knicks. <laughs> I'll check it out that movie. Probably not the best <laughs> thing. So, the best use of her so talent. So I think Ghost is good. I give Ghost a B minus. A B minus? Yeah. Mm, C minus. All right. I would think. Is this going to make your. It's, it's it's not, no, it's no, 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 it's no, no. Crack your Probably bottom. a C. It's a C. It's, it's a gonna, C. So you say it's average. It's average. Yeah, it's average. So it's going to yeah. crack your bottom five? No, I, no, I don't think so. No, we've seen some tremendous shit. We have. Yeah. Uh, tremendously bad shit. Oh, wait. Before we move on, yeah. though, there's a couple other things I wanted to say. What did you think about the possession scene where Patrick Swayze's character possesses Whoopi Goldberg's character? I thought that they really. I thought they didn't commit on that one. Roger Ebert has the same complaint. Does he? Yeah, Roger Ebert felt it should have been Whoopi. The thing and is, he, and, he says, and they should have kissed. Right. Well, the problem they do kiss, not but that you see. Right. Right. You see Patrick Swayze, and so I thought that they didn't make a very good decision there. Either don't do it. I understand the problems. If you make Demi Moore and Whoopi Goldberg, if you see them kissing, that becomes the movie. Well, yeah. But not you know? only that though, you and which is fine if you want to make that choice. Right. But but the I think the bigger problem is you don't see them have enough rapport. They've gone from like not like a combative relationship to kissing. That would be extremely shocking to see, I think. I thought there would be a better way. No kiss. You could show um, you could show a, a view of them embracing each other and dancing and and maybe maybe take a shot of um, Debbie Moore looking at the camera and she's got tears in her eyes. And then and so then you would see Whoopi from kind of the back holding her. And then the other side, you would see maybe Demi from the back and you see Patrick Swayze kind of looking towards the character. Like you could do it that way and show both. I thought that they just were non-committal by not, by not like showing us that the, the, the actual scenario is Demi Moore and Whoopi Goldberg are embracing. And it's a situation where they were trying to give the audience what it wanted. And the audience yeah. wants to see Patrick Swayze they do. together again, right? Yeah, of course. Um, so it went. But you're not acknowledging. But I think there's also stuff like if they make that movie today, maybe it's it's probably shot differently. Honestly, 25 because just because back in 1990, if you had two women kiss, that becomes almost um, like uh, what's the word? like controversial, right? Exactly. Uh, where if that happens today, it's not. Um, I mean, it's in commercials now, so it's like. But they right. were trying to straddle a line. That's what I didn't like. It's like make a decision. Yeah, I, and so Roger Ebert has the same, if you read Roger Ebert's review of this movie, he has the same exact complaint. Is that what he says? So, uh, yeah, it's not an unfounded complaint. I do, I'm always, I'm always, well, be, you know, remember, in 1990, it was different, but if Roger Ebert had the same complaint in 1990, then it's probably a pretty valid criticism. Mm. I, I, I don't argue that point. I don't have a lot to add to it. Yeah. The other thing that I want to say is my favorite shot in this entire film, and you'll probably kill me for it, is uh, the shot where they're trying to get this angel in from the outside. Uh, do you remember that? Like they're trying, they have to yeah. use a pulley system to get an, uh, this giant statue yeah. angel into the window of their new apartment, Which whatever home. Which is ridiculous, home. by the way. It, that would never happen. But still, like no, they, no, no, the apartment was ridiculous. But I'm sorry. Oh, it was point. huge for yeah. New York. I'll Where are they? Are they in Manhattan? Yeah, it's like yeah, millions. Finish your point. But anyway, so they bring their their. It's this very large statue. They're bringing in, in through the window to get it in, and what and you see movers walk by with a mirror. And suddenly the shot is the shot of like coming yes. through the mirror. I really like that shot. And then you see in the background, Carl, uh, the bad guy's character, steps in front of yes. Patrick Swayze. You don't see him anymore. All you do is see the angel over both of them. It was I thought that was a really cool shot. The that was my favorite good. shot. Best mirror shot I've ever seen is in Contact. Came out in 97. Uh, Rob Zemeckis. Yeah, it's yeah. the very beginning of the movie. It, it's a really cool like, Oh, yeah. Shot. When you fall. Right. I know exactly Contact. the shot. It's really, yeah. really well done. When she's a kid. Yes, yeah, exactly. I remember um, that. That's a great shot. So a few things about the, about the movie here. So the interiors were shot in LA. The exteriors yes, were shot in New York. Yes, yes, yes. The exteriors are great. It does show New York in 1990. It's really well done. I forgot this was a New York movie, so I, kind of, I got kind of excited there. Really good job with the subway. The subways are legit. A lot of times when they show New York subways, they're not, they don't have real stops. The subway stations oh, don't look right. And you're yeah. like, oh, you roll your eyes. This was, this looks legit. It looks like it. Um, the subway trains, that's actually what subway trains looked like in 1990. Um, so it was really well done. Um, so they were, I think they were living kind of near the meatpacking district they were like they were downtown in manhattan so yeah apartment is there to have an apartment be that big in new york i don't care where it is because these buildings rolled they're just not made that way the interior of that apartment was not a new york apartment and completely kept <laughs> it was just that's not what they look like yeah. it's not what how they're framed it just, it just that's ridiculous sure so that was dumb uh but other things were really like the wall street stuff because i worked down there when i was yeah. in new york i worked right 
uh, on Broad Street, which is, that's the street. The stock, stock exchange isn't on Wall Street. It's on Broad Street. Wall Street is the street that kind of te- the top T of it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it was, it's all shot there. It looked great. I was like, oh, this is, this is really, really well done. It, really good shots of the crowd. It, that's how it is. It's busy. It was really, a lot of times when people shoot New York, they don't do it right. I think um, I give a real credit to Zanuck for shooting it correctly. Okay. Um, just the interiors being in L.A., that didn't bother me except for the apartment, which is yeah. completely, completely ridiculous. And the whole like attic or whatever that was supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. They cut through, like, uh, burst through. Is that yeah, what we're saying? Yeah. Through, where they, the movie begins and ends in that attic area. That's right. Like that's silly. It's, that's, that's, that's not going to What happen. are we doing here? Yeah. Like, that's, that's dumb. And, There's that, only, and it wasn't even needed. Right. No, no, they could have been, been doing repairs on the apartment itself. Like of why course. do you have to have it be this weird, strange rogue attic? Yeah, because people would know. Anybody who saw that film from New York would know this is bullshit. Uh, yeah, and then the uh, stuff with the Whoopi Goldberg stuff and uh, where the the bad guy lived, that was all in Brooklyn. And that, oh, felt, okay. that felt like Brooklyn. I mean. Yeah. Yep. Um, I would feel remiss if we didn't mention that uh, Unchained Melody, huge hit oh my God. before, but then again the through this. The pottery scene is, the of pottery course, iconic. Right. Yep. Maybe one of the most iconic scenes in film history. Certainly of the decade. Everybody knows it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you look at, think about 1990s filmmaking, that... That pottery, pottery scene, scene is is an absolute. Yeah. But the other thing, though, is the um, the the I think the score like got nominated. They might, score might have won too, and I it did I, not win. I, it I, didn't. Only, okay, it was nominated two Oscars. All right, right. The score sorry. was fine until the very end. The but it was nominated. Minutes, the score and is horrible. To me, I was nominated, and I was like, "There's not like nothing really stood out for me in the score except for the inclusion of Unchained Melody in this. That that was the only thing that really score, stuck out. It, score. I thought it was fine until the very end. It was terrible. Uh, one more thing too: the special yeah. effects. I thought were pretty good. Except, yeah, they were fine. Except for when the bad guys get brought to hell. Who looks like a pump? The pumpkin bad the guy. Shadows shadow those guys. There's one of them in the end scene that you see like the you see the face you see the cut out eyes and the mouth and it right. looks like a it looks, a jack o' lantern. It, it, which it's is a stupid. shame because a lot of people do. And this, if you if you go deep dive in this movie, a lot of people do kind of make fun of this. Yeah, that those those special effects, which they are terrible, which is a shame because the rest of the movie had great had good effects. Yeah, the heavens one heaven one was kind of cool. It didn't drive yeah. you too much. Um, but the they should have done a better job. I understand. It, I bet in this. I bet in the script. It was like the shadows take. And that is a cool idea. It is a cool idea. But I think in 1990, this didn't have the CGI, yeah, didn't have the ability to do it yet. So it comes off, right, it's looking like cutouts. Like you see cutouts of the fingers. They, yeah, that's and like right. And you said, like the jack-o'-lantern. It's just like, it's like what, what, what's happening this isn't here? Even... They, um, that's un- unfortunate because it does take away from the intensity of the, the climactic scene there. I thought it was stupid that Demi Moore's character saw Patrick Swayze right before, like saw and heard him right before he went to heaven. I thought that was dumb at the end of the film. Yeah, that's more audience it's like, how does she... service. What? Now she's a psychic too? Yeah. Is she going to get possessed by I people? Know. Are we going to do Ghost 2? The possession of fucking Demi Moore? Luckily they didn't. Luckily they didn't. Um, which I'm sure they might. I'm sure someone wrote that treatment. I'm sure someone thought so? Yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> so, here's the deal. We're left with Demi. Patrick comes back again. Like, oh, uh, I see. Had, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, right. You, the movie made $500 million. Someone in a meeting had this discussion. So this time, Whoopi dies. Like, I, like, there were, <laughs> right, this, right. These machinations absolutely happened. Yeah, uh, I'm glad it didn't uh, yeah, work it, out. It's a good movie. Also, I'm glad the TV show didn't work out. Did you see that was going to happen? Yeah, that, that happened. Once again, same kind of thing. Do you know who was going to write that? Who? Our buddy Akiva. Oh, I did see that. <laughs> I did see Akiva. He turns up everywhere. He does. Every bad idea. Um. All right. Anything else on Let's that? I Let's guess. Let's talk about this song. It's she ain't worth it. Boop, boop, do, 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 do. I have no recollection of this song. None. 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 What is it? It's Glenn Medeiros. Uh, Medeiros, I think. Medeiros. It could then, be Medeiros. It sounds like, I mean, that sounds like a Greek name, which, I don't know, Medeiros. Let's call it Medeiros. I don't know. He's from uh, Hawaii. And, and then Bobby Brown has a small part in it. He raps. He actually raps for two lines in the beginning, and then um, sort of, like, and I think maybe the third verse is him rapping. If this was made today, it would be, you know, feet, period, Bobby Brown. It's, well, the thing, so I was, I did a little bit of digging into that because I was wondering what the hell happened, but let me, uh, I just want to, I want to do this a little bit more in order. Go so crazy. she ain't worth it is the name of the song by Glenn Meteoros and Bobby Brown. Um, this is on, uh, Glenn's album called it's self named, but Glenn his second Meteoros. self-named his first album in 87 right. was also self-named. That's right. Not very creative with the name titles. No, the there's, he, this guy doesn't have a lot of creativity. In, in fact, like, so his first, um, song is called uh, Nothing. Oh, what the, oh, Nothing's Gonna Change, My Love for You. Do this you know that song? I remember. I remember that one too, but I'm, I was wondering because, no, so Nothing's Gonna Change, My Love. I'm gonna actually play a little bit of it, but oh, that song is so bad. It's uh, easy listening to stuff my mom would It is, play. it is, it is. Like but the thing is, that it. was a cover. Oh. Here, check this out. This All is, right. um, this guy Benson wrote, wrote it first 
Uh, Benson from the, from TV. It was Benson, the butler. No, it wasn't. It was what's the guy's first name? Robbie Benson, right? Yeah. Oh, it's. Is it? I think it is. So we know this song. This is from '85. Oh, okay. Okay. Right, that's what I'm thinking of then. But then, Meteoros does it too. '87. Two years later. Two years later, and you'll see. Same fucking song. Well, I mean, he doesn't. It's the same fucking same song. song. So maybe I'm thinking, there's like nothing so different. Am I thinking of the '85 version? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. I'm not sure which one's which. I don't like that song, man. I don't like that song either, but I definitely knew it and recognized it. I like the it, idea of like but then, Benson the Butler singing it though. It's, I think it is Benson the Butler. You think it's Robert No, it's not. It's an R&B guy. Song? I'm actually trying to find. I think the, it's Robbie Benson, right? It might be Robbie or Bobby. Ben, it's one of those. Robbie Benson. I, I think is, that's is, right. It's a, a person, yes. Yeah. Right. Is George that, Benson. George, it's oh, fucking George Benson. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Robbie Benson was the beast, the beauty and the beast, I think. Was he? actor, yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah. George Benson. George Benson. But not Robert Guillaume who played Benson the Butler. No. We're now we're tangenting into different Bensons, and we don't have to Robert do that. Guillaume, we're just gonna Robert, go back. Robert, Robert Guillaume still my favorite Benson. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. That I look, I would agree with that. All right, okay. Yeah. Um. So that that was the the thing that my takeaway was the same. It's like I know that song, oh. but I don't know which person I know that song I think from. When you played it again, I know the '85 version. I don't know the '87 version. Oh, you can tell the difference. Yeah. I mean, I can tell his voice listen, a little bit. I said my mom would play easy but, listening music in the in the early '90s a lot when I was before I had my license. Yeah, and it was just like it would drive me crazy. And and so when I heard this song, but it didn't quite sound right when you played it. Just yes, now. yeah, yeah. Okay, you could so you I could get the timbre different. I don't know Glenn Meadows at all. That apparently no, you don't. And so the, and that's the thing. It's both of those songs are very like. It, there's no if you're gonna do a cover. <laughs> And you're releasing it in the same market. It's like the U.S. market, who are and, and the first one two charted years ago. two like, years before. I don't understand <laughs> that. That actually used to happen a lot more in the '60s, like the earlier oh, right. when you know there weren't a lot of songwriters, a lot of musicians happening, or a lot of records going out. You would see like um, old Motown, where you'd have a bunch of people covering songs from a couple of years. But that doesn't that didn't happen in the '80s at all. I'd like. Never yeah, heard that. You have been a library to pull from, I imagine. Because I was like, wait a minute. Because, yeah, I just fucking Googled the name of the song and it, and oh. Benson came up and I'm like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, that's the one I know. Oh, <laughs> but, right. but the structure's the same. The tones, there's some like keyboard tonal differences, but it's basically the same song. I so I was like, I'm this sorry, is fucking this, ridiculous. Every time, we, every time you got this machine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Matt, our Matt new roadcaster. That plays our songs now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I walk into the room and I kind of don't like the artist, but I'm like, ah, whatever. I'm kind of, you know. And I walk out, but I hate that guy. <laughs> I, I hate this Glenn is a hate Meadows. machine. <laughs> I hate this guy now because I thought I thought the other song was his thing. Well, last like, episode was my turn that. for hate. This one's your turn for hate. I hate both. That's fine. So let's get a little bit. So Mater, that was his first song, and that uh, nothing's gonna change. My love. That hit number one in England. He charted better abroad than he did I'd here, so but it charted. If I was Benson, I don't. But what I don't understand is why. Um, okay. So let's get back to She Ain't Worth It. She Ain't Worth It, not written by Meteoros. Of course. <laughs> Meteoros or whatever. Right. Of course it's not. Right. Who's it written by? It's actually written by Bobby Brown and oh. a woman named um, Ant, uh, Antonina Armato. Oh. Antonina Armato is, she's pretty, she had uh, charting singles when she was like 16 years old. Not her own. She was writing it for other people. So she created a, hmm. I can't remember the name wow. of her, um, her company, but she created like a songwriting company when she was really young. She's 19 when she wrote the song with Bobby Brown. Wow. I, that's pretty good. I mean, the song's not the good. The song sounds like it was written by a 19 year old. Actually. Yeah, but, but she had a string, like a even her, Justin Bieber later on. She's oh, had wow. like a string of, of hits. Probably not the most, Carol King is, is kind of the quintessential songwriter for other people that always sticks in my mind. But, but she, she had a bunch of hits. This, this woman did pretty okay. well from an early age. Um, this is, so that's why Bobby Brown, I don't know if they were doing featuring back then, but that's a Probably reason not. why he wouldn't, he wasn't doing, this isn't a feature because he wrote it yeah. and performed it huh. with Meteoros. But what I don't understand is why Bobby Brown, who we were just talking about peak actors before, this is peak Bobby Brown. Why is he doing a song with this motherfucker? He just got done with um, My Prerogative, Every Little Step. Yeah. Those were huge My hits. My prerogative was huge hit. Huge hit, like a year or two years yeah. before. Huge. That uh, that album. Um, and he's a new addition too, right? He was new addition for, so yeah, he has that. been, yeah, right. Like this, this is this is forever. His album, Don't Be Cruel, that's My Prerogative and Every Little Step. Uh, 88, won Grammys for that. Oh, huge. It was everywhere. Sold 8 million copies. Yeah. Like there is no, he has no business per performing with some second rate fucking, uh, you know, Co co cover musician. I have a theory. 
Tell, tell me what's the theory. So I think Glenn Medeiros is like a nice guy. Oh, he seems, actually so like, does seem he nice. He got the music industry, you know, in the mid-90s, and now he lives in Hawaii. He runs a school, like a, like a, like a, like a school, and he has like a, he has a- Oh, he does, yeah. He's he in does. the same life forever. Yeah. He has like two kids. I think the kids' names are like Cord and Lyric, which is cute. <laughs> and like, he, I bet he's just like a nice guy. Like, he's a guy you'd want to be your neighbor. But Bobby Brown but isn't a nice guy. guy. I want to be my I mean, but maybe he was looking for some light in his life, and Whitney wasn't going to do it, so well, he found. Did Bobby Clinton. know Whitney yet at this point? Uh, they met when Bobby Brown was like twenty. They didn't oh, marry okay. till he was twenty-three. Whitney was older. She was like six years older. Yeah, it was really well, kind of crazy. Um, but maybe I, my theory is it like, could be. My theory is just Glenn is just like a, a nice guy. Maybe he is, but like, how would they even travel in the same circles? Like, I don't even know how they, they were both met. Young, so yeah, uh, you're right. Glenn Meadows was seventeen. We did that first song. He was nineteen when he did this. Right. Imagine peaking at nineteen. Oh, and then it's all fucking downhill from there. Well, if he's happy, he he left the he music industry. Ha- he seems yeah. like out of people we've covered in this show, people well we talk adjusted. about, like, you know, we talk about Demi Moore. Yeah. That was kind of a disaster. Patrick Swayze had, had the same marriage forever, but then like he crashed an airplane yeah. drunk or yeah. maybe not drunk. There's some speculation, but he had major substance abuse issues. Right. You know, and there's some people who are like, were successful for a long time. This guy... Yeah, obviously not very creative. Peaked hard. They sold, uh, this is a modest number one hit, yeah. but still sold 500,000 copies. Okay. I mean, he probably sold, maybe sold a million albums or something. That's that's legitimate. If I sell a million albums in my life, I'll think that's pretty fucking successful. So, yeah, so yes, I imagine you would, Maddie. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I, love, I love that every show's mouth. I was like, well, if I did it, it's like, well, no, that's well, no, not I'm what just we're trying, doing here. I'm just trying well, to put my- If I made a movie, I mean, 500 million dollars, I feel that's pretty good too. Yes, yeah, so I, I would No, but what about, what about a, a $3 million movie? What if- yeah, well, I, you, guess, you feel pretty good I, about that. No, no, I'm not trying to compare myself. To I'm just trying to put myself or, in his shoes because you said you hated him. I I hate his creativity. Mm. I want him to be my neighbor. <laughs> Move to Hawaii, Waikiki. Right. He still seems to be performing there too. Like he'll do festivals and shit. You can go. But peak Bobby Brown because then because here it's like a little sojourn. Because then after this he does uh, humping around, which is not a number one hit, <laughs> but it was a big. I really <laughs> you say that. He does humping around, and then yeah. he does Ghostbusters two song in ninety two. So this is like no he, Ghostbusters two came out eighty nine. Ghostbusters two. 92, it said. Oh, because it's came out in 1989. He did the song, maybe the That's fine. song yeah, I don't know what that means, but the movie came out. Yeah, it did. I don't know. Maybe. Okay, so then he, maybe I, I copied it wrong maybe or something. Maybe Bobby's but... a little late to the, to the show. Like, <laughs> no, he was in that. For this his song later. was, no, his song was in the movie, was right? Yeah, well, okay, so it was in. I apologize, our, but still. to our Peak Bobby Brown right. discussion. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But still, it was, he sort of, you know, he had hits after that too. It's just kind of a weird little sojourn, a little dip in here. But I guess uh, we should probably talk about the song a little bit. I mean, there's not a ton to say, but I did have, like, there's one, this is like, well, for okay, so it sold 500,000 copies, modest number one hit. It was only a number one hit for two weeks, didn't chart for very long. So it kind of came and went, which is why we missed it. Even though this is like probably peak top 40 time period for me at a 12, as a 12 year old. I would think so. I you I would expect I, no, that I would know I listen, this. I listened to. I mean, you know, I'm. This is summer. Yeah, Rick D's grade. dude. Yeah, Rick D's and Weekly Top Forty. Right. Yeah, this this must have been on it. Of course. So we must have heard it, but it just didn't stick with us Did because not. I I think, like I said, I think it just kind of came and went. Um, but this is a prototypical song for this time period. Mm-hmm. This is very similar. You could kind of you could carbon copy this out, give it to a number of artists and it would sound kind of the same. The background music to me kind of reminded me when we talked about New Kids in the Block a little bit. That's exactly right. Yeah, so this, and this is what I wanted to kind of illustrate is this time period has, every time period has kind of a sa- like a specific sound to me. Yes. Right? Um, and it, it's kind of genre specific. So like hair metal is not going to sound like fucking top 40 music, but top 40 music generally has a sound. And there's a very specific sort of mid to late 80s to early 90s sound. And that definitely encapsulates the boy bands of the early 90s that we know, late 80s, early 90s that we know, like New Kids on the Block. Um, but the thing I think that that like shows it to me the most is how, this is going to sound kind of ridiculous to boil it down, is kind of how they... It's two things. It's how they, how um, writers and uh, engineers are treating drums and how they're treating synthesizers at this time. So since we're big in the 80s for us, because uh, it's like new synthesis with Prophets and shit. We talked about that shit. in the yep. episodes. But uh, now you've got way more involved, uh, more modern synths to that time. And this this album sounds like it. So I wanted to, sh- I wanted to actually play um, the drums a little bit for you because okay. I think I can kind of illustrate what I mean. 
Is it a snare? Snare. Okay. So that it just sounds so. It does. Yeah, so it does. It does. It does. Cheesy, right? This is where they're starting to change the way that drums are are being um, engineered and performed. First of all, and it's everything about it. First of all, the rhythm itself. Like you got this. kind of. It's sort of a shuffle feel to it. That's called new jack swing. Have you heard that that term? So I have. So like I remember having like keyboards, like Casio keyboards, and you could like do like bossa yes. nova or whatever and one of them was a new jack swing. that's exactly and it right it sounded exactly what you're describing now new jack and this is funny too because now it's starting i like how we're going we went forward in the future from 84 because this is directly reminiscent of bands like the time where we talked about before mm. that yep. style of music which is kind of funk is sort of a shuffly funk and by shuffle i mean the subdivision of the beat is in threes as opposed to two if if this is the beat a subdivision of two is one, two, one, two, one, two, where three is one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Now, when you subdivide the beat uh, to its like, you know, bass level, if it's in a three, it's a more of a shuffle feel, has a swing feel to it. That's why it's called New Jack Swing. But that is very um, time, uh, the more stay in the time era funk that then influenced pop stars like Janet Jackson. So her album Control is really like the first big pop explosion of new of New Jack Swing. Okay. That entire album, which then influenced pop music, like hugely influenced pop music to all the boy bands that we know from that time period and our good buddy Glenn here. So it's the swing beat, like we just we yeah, I just played for you, but also how they uh the other big giveaway is how they treat the snare drum. Uh snare drum is the crack. Crack. At this time period in the 90s, they really, they, you started, not only did you have digital um, and synthesis happening for instrumentations and instrumentation like keyboards, but also on effects. And one of the effects that really went digital at this time was reverb. Now, reverb is something, if you have a conversation with someone in a room, you, you your voice doesn't just sound like you in your head. It sounds like you in the space that you're in. So, you know, for like a movie, if, you, if you're doing a shot in a cave, you hear the sound of the cave or, or an office building, they all have their own sounds. Sure. And early on, like, it was, so if you listen to music, you want reverb on there. You want music to be in some sort of space or it doesn't sound right to you. So early on, what people would do is actually, like if you wanted to record a drum, you'd record drums in a space. You would put close mics on those drums so you could hear all the impact that was, you know, from the sticks. But then you'd also have mics farther away, say like in a gymnasium, you'd have a mic wave, you know, 50 feet away. So you could get a, you could get the sound of the room and then you'd blend those things together. Well, digital reverb started really being a lot better than it was um, you know, into the like mid to late 80s into the 90s. And and actually, just like everything else, it went from mics in rooms capturing that sound to using springs, like physical objects. So you, uh, like uh, in a guitar amp, a lot of times, the reverb setting is actually a spring. And so you're getting the sound of that. So you went from physical objects then to digital approximations of, of those, of that room. Okay. That's what was happening here. And it wasn't that good. Uh, now digital reverb is awesome. Like you can sound, you want to play your guitar in the Taj Mahal. You want it to sound like that? You can like, it's really good. But at that time, even though it sounded modern to them, it wasn't good. So you're hearing this drum kit with like a huge, weirdly pixelated, like reverb room that go last forever. It's like crack, like forever on the, on these kits. So that is a huge sign of the time for me of, of, of this. And this is like a good representation of it. If you listen to this song, you'll hear the kit, the swing of it, how it was recorded and like the verb. And it's like fucking straight up like early nineties. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I, I don't really like early nineties. No, me neither. It, it sounds, the problem is like you can, it just sounds dated. This stuff sounds so really dated, dated sounds to us. Incredibly dated. And the, and a lot of the times the problem is um, it's what you get used to everybody, all the top 40 bands sounded like this, had a kit that sounded like this, had that kind of shuffle beat. So it's one thing if you take the technology of the time and you make it unique to you and your band so that not everybody else sounds like you, then it doesn't sound dated. It just sounds unique to you. Peter Gabriel is the, oh, we've talked about this before. He's the prime example of that for me. He had all the same equipment as these motherfuckers, but he sounded, th he, his music sounded like him. It didn't sound like the time to me. Well, I, I think we've proven Glenn Medeiros is not the, pinnacle of creativity. No, he's not, but I did, but it is a good, for me, it's a good representation of that time. He could have been one of any and it would have sounded like this. Glenn Meadows, nice man. Nice man. Bad music. Bad music. I think that's probably, Bobby Brown does a rap. It's really funny early rap, but you know, listen to it. You can laugh at it, but that's it. Yeah. Um, 
Hey, uh, personal story. You got a story here? Uh, no, just a, <sighs> not real. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, I was in Hooksett just about to go into seventh grade. Actually, it was the summer okay. before seventh grade. I think I did soccer camp. Uh, was big into soccer at that time. So um, there was soccer camp at New Hampshire College, which is now Southern New Hampshire University. It right. switched, which was just a few miles from my house. My mom worked there for a while. Um, and yeah, I was preparing for, for the soccer season in the fall. So I would do soccer camp every every summer did before I would go in. you soccer in school in the fall? Yeah, I did. All, I played soccer through high school, played oh. hockey for two years, uh, kind of later in life. That would have been my favorite sport, but I didn't start it early enough where I would have been phenomenal. Um, but you would have been phenomenal if you started earlier. Definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I would have been really good. A lot of Matt brags. <laughs> brags to this episode. What are you talking? What else did I brag about? You said if, if, I said if, if, you, if I would have been happy with a million albums no, sold, right. would have been happy. I'm sorry. Matt brags with like a uh, with like a, a qualifying thing. Like if if I'd only done this, I would have been. Um, <laughs> I thought we built I been Wayne Gretzky. If I'd only done this, I would have been Peter Gabriel. <laughs> I thought uh, I thought we built each other up on the show. Oh, you're talking <laughs> the wrong code. So. <laughs> Where the fuck were you? Yeah. Uh, no, we're doing not me tomorrow. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, but so then we've got we have uh, we've got story. We um, not stories. We have got headlines. Headlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My job. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Whenever you know. I have two headlines here. Uh, so not not a ton. This is good luck finding stuff. This week is a uh, pretty pretty void. Um. <laughs> so the article above the fold in the New York Times. Yeah. Front page article above the fold was about how hard the recession was hitting New England. Okay. Which is pretty wild because you think about it. Um. You know, New England. Uh, is not New York, right? But this shows, and it we talked about how the reset, how New England was getting hit the hardest, and it absolutely was. If you lived in, I lived in New Hampshire at this time. I know Matt did too. Yeah, uh, I was in the Seacoast. You had Pease Air Force Base, which had just closed. That was a, a big issue. It, like I remember, like there's a mall. Yeah, people in this area might know the Fox Run Mall. There's yeah, also a mall yeah, next yeah. to it called the Newington Mall. Yeah. That closed during this recession. Um, you had, you know, plenty of stores go out. There was, you know, people, obviously we had lost peas. People were afraid the uh, the Portsmouth uh, shipyard was going to close. Oh, that's right, yeah. Or move. Or, that's always or, been a constant you know, issue, yeah. But especially then, people were really on edge about it. Right. And the, the people were like, you go to down Main Street, there were some empty storefronts. It was, it was really, uh, I know like in Summersworth, uh, GE, after NAFTA, GE left. Oh, yeah. It's like a huge, you know, but I know people in Massachusetts and I know people, anyone in New England, obviously, as that story tells, have personal stories about how the recession was was serious. Did it say why that was happening at that time? Like specifically here in in New England or the Northeast as opposed to other parts of the country? I don't know why it hit us the hardest. I don't know. I don't don't know why. It's not like, I mean, it used to be. Oh, wait, did not hit us that hard. Yeah, that's true. But it hit like Florida and Nevada and a lot of reasons because some of those mortgages were newer. Yeah. And newer houses. And I guess those got hit harder. Um, why did New England get hit harder in 1990? I, I yeah. don't know. Oh, that'd be interesting to know. All right. What else? Uh, uh, so this week, and this is kind of the reason there wasn't a ton of stuff because this was like by far the biggest story. David Souter from New Hampshire was named as a nominee for the Supreme Court uh, by George Bush. That's right. Uh, he would get voted into the court in October. So remember, this is July. So October, he, he'd be, uh, he would get voted in. And he would serve until June 2009. Now, he's interesting because he was supposed to be a conservative justice. Right. But he eventually became more moderate and eventually became a liberal justice. And a lot of people in the Republican wing of We're things- like, why'd you abandon us? Yeah. Feel, yeah. To paint him as sort of, he's not very pot. He's kind of like looked as a traitor because George Bush appointed him. Yeah. You know, think about it. George Bush also appointed Clarence Thomas. I believe. Yeah. Think about how, you know, uh, right wing he is. So I think if Souter had gone more right wing, I think this country could look very different with a lot of this stuff. Interesting. Because he was oftentimes like a swing. You know, oh, I think right. Kennedy was a swing vote, but Kennedy was a swing vote because Souter flipped sides. <laughs> so it's an interesting case. Souter, I think, is the only justice from New Hampshire, at least the only one recently from New Hampshire. Um, and uh, interesting case. But yeah, so that was uh, big news that week. You know, him push, Bush appointing him. And back then, too, when you appointed somebody, although it kind of is the case now, I think, you, the, that person almost always gets in. Yeah. I mean, even, even yeah, now, as controversial as Trump is, I think you still get... Obviously, you have to it might take longer. They might drag you through right. the coals, but but you eventually didn't get it. Take long, right? July, to October. Right. That's not too bad. No, nah. you know. And obviously, I think you have like, like Bork was was in the eighties. They they didn't get him in, and then obviously the Clarence Thomas. I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, Merrick Garland non. You know, they wouldn't allow him. Obama tried to get Merrick Garland on yeah. the Supreme Court, and then they're like, "Oh, sorry, you're too." You know, which you know that's a whole different story. Sure, but uh, but Souter got in. And maybe under false pretenses, maybe or maybe Souter just changed his mind. Could have been interesting to to think about that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's all I have for it. All right, anything else before we uh, wrap it up? Uh, so uh, come back on Saturday. We're going to be talking uh, presumed 
Innocent, the Harrison Ford movie, which I've never seen, so I'm going to watch that. And uh, The Power by Snap. <laughs> See you later. Thanks.